He's actually in 1980. It was a whole new way of doing things, and my life indeed is dependent on post-it notes. Now, I'm going to show you something. I don't know if uh, any of you know me well enough to know that everything in the world has to be reminded to me. Okay, I'm going to sh what I'm going to show you is one week's worth of a collection of post-it notes. These are piles of them. These are not just one. Here's another pile. Here's some more. And I just drop one. But anyway, I have post-it notes everywhere. In fact, is I have post-it notes to tell me not to forget about post-it notes. I'm not joking. Oh, bye. By the way, the green ones with the writing on that you can't read the writing, those are from Pastor John. You can't read his writing. The purple ones are from Becky that tells me who to return phone calls to. The other purple is from my wife, and you can see we um, at our house are very, um, oh, what's the word, scrounges. Uh, we actually have one that's in two pieces with di two different notes, okay? Um, and at our house, we have two different size notes. I am get in big trouble if I use these. See, they have lines on their grocery lists and what my wife has to tell me. Now, when I'm using them, I have to use these, the star ones, because they're smaller, and I get in trouble. This one says filing cabinet on. That was a note to my wife on the door as I walk out, because she knows she has to do this. She can't just put it on the table anymore. You've got to put it on the door, so I have to walk past it and stare at it so I don't forget. Now, that was the post-it note for me, not to forget the filing cabinet. This is the post from her. This is the post-it note to me, pick up the filing cabinet. Then, seriously, I got there. This is the other part of that note. It says, Paul, this is the one I need. My file folders are too wide for the other two. And then it's got some other stuff. I have no idea what it is. Post-it notes, post-it notes, and post-it notes. I got things that, um, and, and um, many times I'll take one of these stars and put it on the table because if I go home from work early and my wife's not there, I'll say, I'm sleeping in the den because I absolutely want to be reminded when it's supper time so she doesn't think I'm someplace. And then there are others where, <laughs> you think I'm joking, this is, not, this is all true. The other day I went home and I, my wife said there was still some clam chowder in the refrigerator for, for lunch. She wasn't coming home that day. And I said, wow, I know there's some mashed potatoes left over from last night. I'm going to mix the two together, add a little milk, and I'm going to make myself some really extra good soup. So I get in there. I'm all proud of myself that I figured this all out. I'm going to make this soup for myself for lunch. I go to get, to get some dessert out of the refrigerator. And on the freezer cabinet says, Paul, you can add the mashed potatoes to the soup in the other fridge. <sighs> so there, my smart aleck goes down. But anyway, at my desk, I have one of these. It gets used all the time. But as you can tell, posted notes are something that many of you use. In fact, is it's one of the top five uh, gross-selling products for the office. It really is. Back in 1970, a man named Spencer, Spencer Silver, who was a chemist uh, working in the lab with 3M, was trying to make super strong glue. Uh, the problem is his super strong glue turned into super weak glue that would paste fast very easily, pulled off and pasted back on again. 3M had no idea what to do with it. So they kept the recipe but kind of forgot about it. Then, and this is a church story, so you got to know this, Art Fry was singing in his church choir. Now, as many people do, and I used to do this, you put a bookmark in, and he had a piece of paper to mark his page for where he was supposed to sing. 
Unfortunately, as he fumbled around, he lost the paper, lost his page. It was frustrating. He went back and sat down in the pew after he was done. And the sermon happened to be a mite on the boring side, and his mind wandered. Now, nobody at Garden Chapel would ever do that. I know that. But he was, and all of a sudden, he remembered his buddy at the lab had, got, had made this glue that nobody knew what to do with. So Monday morning, he literally went in on his own, took some of the glue, put it on top of a piece of paper, and found out he could stick it and unstick it. Well, he thought it was kind of cool. So he made something and gave it to some of his fellow workers in the lab, and they instantly were addicted to posted notes. You remember how you got addicted to posted notes? Well, anyway, after a while, all the workers kept coming over and saying, we need some more samples. So 3M, actually, a, a little bit later after some, mark, uh, some research and things, decided to put it on the market. Total flop. Nobody bought them. Nobody knew what they were. And so, what they did in 1980, they gave away samples of posted notes. And the rest is history. Because it is, as I said, the top five sellers for office products today. Well, I got started on posted notes for this sermon for one reason. Because in Psalm 74, over and over again, it says words like, Remember. And when I read that on vacation, I was reading on vacation, just kind of looking ahead. This is months ago in the summertime. I'm like, wow, that's me. And so I came up with posted notes to God. Because what happened in Psalm 74, by the way, uh, that's the star one. That's the guy who invented it, and that's what my office looks like. And by the way, some of you still think... Some of you still think computers are, computer monitors are for seeing the stuff that's on your hard drive. Not true. It's for putting the post-it notes on. Go to my office. There's still some there that I didn't bring with me. Uh, but the point is that all of us need the opportunity to express ourselves to God. Does God need reminders? The answer is no. He does not need post-it notes. But he knows that we need the opportunity to talk to him. The psalmist is Asaph. He was the lead musician in Israel. He led the choir. He organized the singers. That was his job. And now his beloved temple has been desecrated. The Babylonians had come in after hundreds of years of Israel sinning. God had sent the Babylonians. And not only did they deport the people to Babylon, which they did, uh, but they also came in and totally ransacked the temple. And when I mean ransacked it, I mean burned it, tore it down, smashed it. We're going to see that. And he is in despair. Because everything that meant a lot to him. Remember, he is leading the choir and the instruments. I mean, this is great. All of Israel comes there to offer their sacrifices. And he is our will, if you will, Will, will Buckner. He, he's leading the congregation in music and leading the choir and training the singers. And now, what he has done, what's been his heart his ministry is gone. And he's in despair. And he's beginning to wonder, God, do you know I'm still here? So point number one is this. 
For your information, God, we're still here. Ever been there? It's a bad day. It's a bad week. It's been a bad month. And your life feels like it's been kind of bad for a long time. And you're wondering, does God even recognize that you exist? That's where the psalmist was. And so point number one is this. God, we are here. Your people are here. Do you still recognize us? It says in verse 1 of Psalm 74, it says this. It says, O God, why hast thou rejected us forever? Ever? Why does thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Now, it says two very different things. It says, have you decided to ignore us, God? Like, we don't exist. You said we're your people. This is your nation. This is your place where you dwell among us. Are you ignoring us? Are you rejecting us? But he goes on one step further. He says, why does your, your um, anger smoke against us? You know what that's saying? When you put those two words together in Hebrew, it basically is, why are you breathing fire at me? You know, not only ignoring me, but you're burning me up. You're, you, don't, you don't care. You're trying to get rid of us. Don't you care, God? Verse 2 goes on to say it this way. Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old, which thou hast redeemed to be the tribe of thine inheritance, and this Mount Zion where thou hast dwelt. The psalmist is given, as you are, the opportunity to express your emotions and your thoughts to God. Does God know all of these things? You better believe he does. Does he know you exist? Of course, he knows everything. But God has given us the opportunity to express back to Him what is in our hearts, our emotions, and in our thinking. And even in our will, we have that opportunity. Why? Because He wants us to acknowledge who He is. That He is our source. He is our provision. He is the one that, and the only one that can meet our needs. He wants us to recognize that. That's an act of faith. He wants us. Remember, when we pray, are you going to tell God anything he doesn't already know? The answer is no, you are not. He knows you better than you know yourself. That's true. He does. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't. He knows the big picture, bigger than any of us could ever even imagine. He knows it. So he doesn't need to be told, but as a part of a relationship, we do those things. We encourage you to tell your spouse or your kids that you love them. Do they know that? Yeah, they've seen the actions and, the, and other things that have happened. But it's still a good idea to tell them. Well, God knows all these things, but he gives us the privilege and exer to exercise that privilege. And he said in verse 12, or, I'm sorry, verse 12, verse 2, he says, God, remember, we're here. We are the congregation you purchased of old. That has to do with the price that he paid. Looking forward to Christ when he would pay the full penalty of our sin on the cross. But then it says he has redeemed us. Now, it almost sounds like the same thing, but this is a different word. This has to do with a kinsman redeemer. See, he didn't only pay for our sin, but he became like us. He became one of us. 
our kinsman redeemer. And he redeemed us and paid the price by coming and living among us and dying in our place, dying for our sins, taking our sins upon himself. And then there's also a place that's seen here. The place in this case is the temple where God had said, I am going to dwell among you and you can come to worship me and you can come to bring your offerings and your sacrifices. And now it's destroyed. The psalmist is like, hold it a second. You paid the price. You, you, you come among us. You dwell among us and we worship you. And Lord, we are still here. Do you remember us? You may have been there. You might be there now. Where you're thinking God has completely forgotten you. That's where the psalmist was. Pretty bad place to be. Posted note number two. Heads up, God, your enemies are up to no good. Again, he knows his enemies. He knows them better than we ever will. But verse 3 says this. Turn thy footsteps toward the perpetual ruins. The enemy has damaged everything within the sanctuary. Verse 4 calls it thy meeting place. Verse 7 calls it thy sanctuary again. He said, God, you determined in the past that you're going to dwell among your people. Your people could come and meet with you there. And now that's all gone. God, do you know how your enemies are thumbing their nose at you? Do you realize that? Of course he does. But he wants us to recognize the battle lines, the enemy, as well as who is the one they're fighting against. And he had witnessed, remember, he he was one who spent a lot of time there. He had witnessed this destruction. And his heart was aching. It was heavy because of what had happened. And he has the opportunity to express that. In fact, fact is, verse 4 says, Thine enemies have roared in the midst of thy meeting place. They have set up their own standards for signs. In other words, they took down all the things that symbolize worship of Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the whole universe. They've taken those down, and they put up their own standards, their own signs. They put up those things that represented their false gods. I mean, they are really, really, really in your face, God. Do you know that? Of course he knew that. It says, it seems as if one had lifted up an axe in a forest of trees, like somebody had just mowed down a whole forest. He said, that's the way it looks. He said, that uh, they have taken all the carved work and they smashed it with their hatchets and their hammerings. Remember, when you look back to just the tabernacle and how elaborate and how expensive and how much work was put into that, and then when you find out what they did when Solomon built the temple, how much work, how much agony went into that, how many resources, how much time went into that. And God was pleased with all of that. He dwelt there among his people. And now these people have come in and just totally ransacked it. Lord, did you see that? Did Well, let's make it... We didn't live there. But, Lord, did you see what my boss did to me? See how he treats me? God, did you see what my spouse is doing to me? My family's rejected. My health. The the doctor goofed up and now I'm messed up. I, I don't care what it is. All I know is this. 
God gives us the privilege of coming to him and expressing that back to him. He already knows, but he gives us the opportunity to give a note to him. It's okay to come to God and remind him of what we see going on in our lives and around us. In fact, verse 7 says, They defiled the dwelling place of thy name. They go right to the heart of it. Your name is everything. When your name is tarnished, your life is in ruins. And that's exactly what he was saying. God, your name has been drugged down. They said in their heart, let us completely subdue them. They have burned all the meeting places of God in the land. Here's what that says to you. There's a hardship here, okay? Yeah, that's bad. And then there's, oh, you butted heads with somebody at church. So now it's no fun to go to church. And God, do you know that? Man, I always look forward to that. And now that person's there and we don't see eye to eye. Oh, boy, there's a problem. But there was that small group or that Sunday school class or that Christian friend who you got with and you still felt, yeah, it's still something going. And now that has come to an end too. All the meeting places, all the synagogues, all the places the Jews would meet to worship God and to be instructed from his word. They're all gone. God, do you realize how bad it's become? How your enemies have wasted my life and my circumstance. And then you get to number three. It's like, God, are you ever in the office? Ever been there when you thought in your devotions or your prayer time or while you're riding in your car, you're praying, and this prayer just bounces right back off the ceiling? Sometimes you feel like it went a little through the ceiling, but it bounced off the clouds, but never really made any difference. If you were being drug miles and miles away to a foreign country to live in a foreign culture and your whole way of life had been disrupted, you'd feel like the psalmist did too. But you may feel that way too without ever moving from your house because the enemies that we really have are here. I got to tell you, my biggest enemy is... You thought I was going to name somebody. I will. His name is Paul Mulfair Jr. (laughs) By the way, that's me in case anybody's new here. I'm my biggest enemy. My mind is my biggest problem. My emotions are right behind. Yours might be the other way. Your emotions might be your biggest problem and your mind right behind. It doesn't matter. All I know is when we get to that point, we think God went out of business. He's out of the office. Can't get a hold of him. Post-it notes don't do any good either. Text messages don't get through. Here's how he got. Here's what he was thinking. God, we don't see your signs. There's no longer any prophet. Nor is there any among us who knows how long. Nobody seems to know the answer. That's what it's saying. Nobody seems to know the answer. No prophet. Remember, a prophet is one who speaks directly from God as his mouthpiece to the people. Nobody seems to be speaking. We don't know what's going on. In fact, as God, we're not sure how long this is going to go on. Lord, are you going to be mad at us forever? Now, if they would have went back and read, they could have found out that it's going to be 70 years. Jeremiah had already told them that. And if you want to hear about these kinds of things, Sunday nights, we're in Ezra right now. We've been through all the gloom, despair, and misery of 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, sin, destruction, 
judgment, revival, back down again. Then God finally said, that's it, it's enough. I'm taking you into judgment. That's where Psalm 74 comes in. Ezra says, there is restoration. There's a new day coming. I am going to work again. And I can tell you that Ezra points it out very clearly. Where it starts is with spiritual things. And i got to tell you that the spiritual things in your life, yes, I know they're of the Spirit. But the truth is, you need to make a decision, an act of faith to follow God. But what about that time when it's so bad? So many rotten things have happened in your life. So many reversals. So many hardships have come that you're not sure that God is still on the throne. We don't see the signs. We don't see the prophets. We don't know. Nobody can tell us how long this is going to happen. And then in verse 10 he says, How long, O God, will the adversary revile and the enemy spurn thy name forever? Why dost thou withdraw thy hand, even thy right hand, from within thy bosom and destroy them? God, why don't you destroy them? Is it because you're not working anymore? I'll tell you what. It's not hard to get at a place where we think there's no hope. It's not very hard to do that. Give yourself about five minutes and start thinking negatively. You'll start going that direction. It's the way it works. And you'll stay there. But God gives us the opportunity to express that to him. He understands better than I will ever understand. Number four. Note to self. I do that all the time. Half the, half the notes I have up here are notes to myself. I can't find one right now, but um, here they are. Oh, the tenant's sink leaks. Now, I know that leaks, they called. They said it leaks. i got to put this on there so that when I walk out, because if I go from one room to the other, are any of you there when you go from one room to the other, you forget why you went over there? Oh, okay, there are, oh, you're younger than I am. Okay, I'm, wow, I'm feeling pretty good right now. I have to put notes on my desk, on my car. I put them right over the speedometer in my truck so that if I look down to see if I'm speeding, which sometimes I am, um, I will see, oh, you forgot to fix the sink at the tenant's, uh, you know, uh, apartment. I have to do that. Note to self, thank God for all he has done. Now, so far, this sermon has been kind of gloom despair. Reason being is because all of us get there. But in the midst of that, even the psalmist, who's in despair because his livelihood, his ministry, everything have changed. And in the midst of that, he has to give a note to himself. Don't forget. Notice what it says. Yet God is my king from of old. He's looking back. Right now, he sees black. He sees God out to lunch. He sees his prayers bouncing off the ceiling. He doesn't see a lot of hope. But he says, Yet God is my king from of old, who works deeds of deliverance in the midst of the earth. Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou didst break the heads of the sea monsters in the waters. Thou didst crush the heads of Leviathan. Thou didst give him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. Thou didst break open springs and torrents. Thou didst dry up ever-flowing streams. Thine is the day, thine also the night. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. Thou hast established all the boundaries of the earth. Thou hast made summer and winter. 
what he had to do is write a note to himself. That note said, you know what? I don't see it now, but God is still the king. He's still on the throne, whether I understand it, whether I see it or not. He is still on the throne. He is still the same miracle-working God, the one who delivers, that he's always been. He hasn't changed. The New Testament says it very simply. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. If God changes, you've got the wrong God. If your God changes, you have the wrong God. He doesn't change. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's been there, and he will be there in the future. There's nothing he can't do, nothing he doesn't know. It's all there. He's still the king, and he's still on the throne, and yes, he is in the office. The second thing is, he still delivers. It says that he divides the sea by his strength. Now, I assume he's referring to the Red Sea. The Red Sea was when Israel was being delivered from Egypt. You know they're being chased by Pharaoh and his armies with 600 chariots, and they are going to be whooped badly. They come there, Moses steps out in, the sea parts, and they walk across on dry land. Now, people make fun of that today, and I've heard these things on the Discovery Channel or History Channel, wherever it was. Oh, it was the Sea of Reeds. It was just a swamp. Well, that's interesting because 600 chariots all got swamped and drowned. They didn't just get swamped so they couldn't move. They all drowned. By the way, read the story. You will find out that they were not chasing Israel when they drowned. They got scared in the middle, turned around, and were heading back to Egypt. And God said, okay, now's the time, and and drowned them all. Check it out. Most of the time we don't think about that, but that's exactly what it says. Or it could have been. Another time that he divided the water, when they went into the promised land, nobody was chasing them. It was just that they had finally came to the point where they were willing to be obedient and do what God asked them to do, enter into the promised land. Remember, before they were disobedient, went around circles for 40 years. Finally, they're, yeah, okay, we'll do what God wants us to do. And God, again, opened the water. This time, not because, to save them from a chasing army, but to allow them to enter into a promised land that God had given them. They look back. Now, i got to tell you, you might be, I don't care if it's your health or a relationship or a job or economics, I don't care what it might be right now. You may be saying to yourself, I know what he's saying, I know God's okay and he's there and he listens, but man, it is just too hard. I challenge you, note to self. What has God done in the past? And I've got to tell you, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've got one place to start for sure. Because He has indeed, as the King, delivered you from your sin, from yourself, from the world, and made you His child. You've got at least one thing. And I've got to tell you, if you can look back to that, you've got a few more things. Now, that won't necessarily change your circumstances right here and now, but it sure begins to change here, the way you see it, the way you think it. And I want to encourage you to do that. But there's one last thing. He said, note to self, God's in control of nature. Leviathan is the biggest, baddest monster you can think of. We don't know exactly what Leviathan is, but if you go to the book of Job, you'll find some description of him. It says, 
He was the biggest and the baddest. All I know it says here is that he gave them over to uh, be food for the rest of the beasts. So uh, he wasn't as big and bad as he thought. But you can look through the New Testament and even the Old Testament and you can find that God controlled nature. Jesus walked on water and he calmed storms and he had ravens feed Elijah. Eli- uh, yeah, Elijah. And uh, he had donkeys talk. He can control nature. You look back and you've prayed and God has answered and helped you through difficult times. We need to have a posted note to self. Remember the past. Remember what God has done. One last note, and then we have a final conclusion of posted notes from God to us. Just a reminder, God, don't forget me. Sometimes it's easy to see God as the sovereign king of everything. He's in control of everything, just like we just talked about. But God, I got lost in the shuffle. I'm lost in the crowd. God, remember me. It's okay. If you're feeling that way, it's okay to cry out to God. Because he hasn't forgotten you. Notice what it says, verse 18. Remember this, O Lord, that the enemy has reviled and a foolish people has spurned thy name. Do not deliver the soul of thy turtle dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of thine afflicted forever. A turtle dove. Now, I don't know if you know what a turtle dove is, but it's what we would call a morning dove. You know the thing that you hear in the morning, whoo, whoo, that's fairly decent like what it goes. People are looking at it going, I shouldn't have done that. Okay, sorry, take that back. Turtle doves make a noise something like that, okay? If you don't know what they are, I remember as a kid hearing that, I'm like, what is that? It's kind of scary. It's kind of an eerie kind of uh, noise. Guess what? They don't fight. They are defenseless. That's why the psalmist considered himself a turtle dove. Defenseless. All he can do is run and basically fly and get out of there. Lord, I have no way to defend myself. And I'm going to tell you, if you're in a hard situation and I don't care what it is, you're going to feel like you're defenseless. God, remember me. Remember me. Oh, by the way, here, here I am. I'm Paul. Uh, yeah, I know there's a big crowd. I know you have a lot to do, but, but this is me. And he does. And he knows your situation. He said, don't allow me to be food for my enemy, the wild beast. And I'm going to just repeat something I said earlier. The wild beast is usually my own thinking, my own will. Me, I'm the one that tears me down. I'm the one that feels sorry for myself. I'm the one that's gloom, despair, and misery. And I make it even worse. See, I'm my own worst enemy. God, I would say, reminder, don't forget me. And uh, by the way, deliver me from myself. Help me to deal with me. The problem with us is me. That's the way I look at it. But it goes on to say, consider the covenant. In this case... He's talking about the Jewish people. They've just been taken out of the land. Their place of worship has been desecrated. And he said, God, God, hold on a second, God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you've promised them this land. 
You said you're going to dwell here. That we're not going to go out of existence. And that's a whole theological um, teaching. But Israel is God's chosen people. And He says they're not going out of existence. Many people teach that they're gone. God doesn't deal with them and is not going to deal with them. Absolutely not true. They are God's chosen people. And He's going to continue dealing with them. Sometimes harshly. Sometimes in the bad times. But He is going to continue. God, remember your covenant. God, you promised me eternal life. You promised you would never leave me nor forsake thee, me. You promised me that you would work in my life. That you would conform me to the image of your Son. Lord, don't forget what you said you would do for me. Lord, I just want to remind you. I'm still here. Remember me. But I'd like to end with a post-it note from God to us. This is not something you're going to find in this chapter. It's just taken from this and what I know from the rest of the Bible. What are those post-it notes? God says, post-it note to you, Paul, or whoever you are. Trust me. I am alive and well. I am still the king. I am still on the throne. I have not gone out of business. And yes, I am in the office. You can trust me. I've got to tell you, I can't trust me. Don't anybody get offended by this, but sooner or later, there'll be something that happens between me and you that I'm going to go, can I trust them? By the way, you will do the exact same thing with me. And it doesn't even matter if it's simply a misunderstanding. It happens. We all know that. You know how it's like with friends and family and coworkers. It happens. But I can tell you, one person you can always trust. And there's never a misunderstanding on his part. Might be on your part, but never on his. You can trust me. He is alive and well and able to make a difference in your life. He's with you. Posted two, point number two, I know your situation better than you. You think you got it together and you think you need to have a solution. Now, I'm not going to tell you you don't have a responsibility because you do. You have a responsibility to deal with what's in your life. But God says, hang on, you're not in this on your own. I know the big picture. I know more about your situation than you do. You think it's out of control? Guess what? In your view it is, not in my view. I know the situation. I know what the solution is. I know what I'm working in your life right now. I know what the outcome is. Last one. I have all the bases covered. We think in the, I I didn't watch baseball, I don't watch sports on TV, but I did watch uh, uh, parts of two games of the World Series. What a disaster. When I quit quit watching, uh, following baseball in 1964 when the Phillies lost 11 games in a row and only had to win one to get in the pennant. I haven't watched it since that, but it was on, everybody's talking about it, so I'm in my workshop and I have it on. And sure enough, there's a double play. Two bases covered in one shot. Phillies are going down fast. Well, guess what? God says, I got them all covered. I got them all covered. There isn't anything that escapes my notice. Nobody gets away with anything in my book. And yes, I know you're there. And yes, I know your circumstance. And yes, I am informed. I know what's going on. And I can handle it. I've got all the bases covered. 
No errors on my part. Tell you what, when you get to the point where you're like Asaph was, you're not sure God got all the bases covered. You're not sure you can even trust him. But I'm here to tell you, according to the word of God, according to what God has done in my life and you know in your life, that he does have the basis covered. He can be trusted. He knows where you are, whether you think he does or not. He does. And I encourage you. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're challenged to grasp this. And maybe a need to go home and write a couple of those post-it notes from point number three is, God, I remember when you, and then you, and then you, because, yes, I know, that you're bigger than my situation. Maybe that's what you need to do. Go back and think and be thankful for what God has done in your life. I'm going to encourage you to take your hymn books and turn to hymn number 349, right?